Welcome to the Wing Life Podcast, where we talk about wing foiling and the lifestyles of those who enjoy this great sport. I think we're I think we're good to go. Andrew, thanks a lot for joining us tonight, man. We're we're stoked to chat foils, KT, all of it. Happy to be here. Like to hop on with you guys. Awesome. So get us started by telling us a little bit about yourself, Andrew. Yeah, so I'm 32 years old. I grew up in Rhode Island, um, right on the water there. Um, Grew up surfing and sailing, um, raced competitively sailing for most of my life um, through high school and college, and was lucky enough. My dad was a big windsurfer, so I grew up with a shed full of toys and learned to windsurf at a really young age, was immediately hooked on it. Didn't have a lot of friends that were into it, so it was usually me and my dad and his buddies out on the water. Um, and then after college, a um, little couple years after college, I moved out west for what I thought was going to be a winter to Jackson Hole, Wyoming. That turned into seven years living out there. Um, yep. While I was living in the mountains there, met um, a bunch of good friends, including a couple guys who would head down to Baja in the off season. So I started getting on the Baja train. I didn't have any windsurfing gear with me out in the mountains. So eventually converted to kiteboarding, picked up a cheap kite set of kite gear, learned to kite on my first Baja trip, um, and then stuck with it in Jackson. There's actually some super fun lake sailing that you can do there and snow kiting. Um, so I went down the kite train for a number, probably, I don't know, four or five years. and then summer of 2020 as covid hit my girlfriend and i moved back to rhode island from jackson for the summer and i got back there and all my buddies are like all right we're all kite foiling now so you got to learn to kite foil so they gave me a a cheap liquid force setup and stuck me on a board that, that someone had outgrown and i started trying to learn how to kite foil and i had windsurf foiled once before at that point my dad had just gotten a windsurf foiling setup so I was trying to windsurf foil. I was trying to kite foil. I wasn't good at either of them. And where we grow up sailing, um, it's a small little yacht club with like a little grassy lawn area and then like a short rocky beach for a launch. Um, so it's really bad for launching kites. And in the summertime, they close all of the beaches to kiting. Um, so you really can't kite anywhere in Rhode Island in the summertime. Um, it's a pain in the ass. And so we're trying to figure out what we were going to do and how we are going to you know, do this whole kite foiling thing through the summer. And then one day a neighbor showed up with a wing and that was it. I was like, all right, screw kiting, screw windsurf foiling, got on the wing program and went from like being scared shitless kite foiling and exploding, you know, at 30 knots and windsurf foiling after two years, not being able to hit my jibes to getting on the wing. And within a couple of weeks, I was you know, cruising back and forth in both directions, foiling, was able to hit my jibes and was just blown away with how easy it was to launch the light winds you could sail in. And since then been totally hooked on, totally hooked on winging. Oh, nice, man. Yeah. It, it's a heck of a transition, eh? From like regular kiting, regular windsurfing, even windsurf foiling. Um, how, yeah. how'd you find, how'd you find your, like your, your first ever kite foil session? Like, what was that like? Uh, it ended up with me with my kite in the water, swimming it to shore and then diving off of a dock to chase my board as it drifted down current 
hoping that I would not drown and get my gear back. Um, it was super hard. It was super terrifying. And it was out there overpowered on a kite because I wanted to make sure I got up and I was never, I was a decent kiteboarder, but I wasn't epic. So it was like still struggling with the kite and then, yeah, get on the foil. And then like all of a sudden you're up and ripping and trying to slow the thing down and just so hard to control. Whereas like winging, it's just so intuitively easy. Oh yeah. And how big of a foil was that that you tried to learn or that you learned uh, kite foiling on? Kite foiling was on a, like a, I, I think it was like a 1200 square centimeter, um, okay. uh, liquid force foil, one of their like original, like wake kite foils. Okay. Okay. But it was still, it's still crazy fast. Like my brother is a good yeah. kiter and he started, I think he got himself a race foil, but not knowing it was a right fo- race foil. So it was like a 750. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <And> yeah. Luckily <laughs> I didn't go down that path. That's, that's real scary got some friends that have gotten pretty hurt doing that (laughs) oh yeah like he it took him 10 hours to just get on it and so me i was on like a 1550 on my wing foil and i would it's the first time that i've actually beat him at something so i was doing laps around him and stuff just (laughs) (laughs) so uh, how was your first wing foil session then so actually you had a little bit of experience right kiting and then had a a little bit of experience and um a neighbor had a um you know, had a had a foil set up, so I was able to get out behind the boat and do a little more toe foiling to get get a little more comfortable. Um, luckily, a guy in in the neighborhood I grew up in had bought a 150 liter Nash board and a 2,000 square centimeter Fanatic foil, um, and he was a bigger dude, kind of similar to me. And he bought it. He had tried it a couple times and was struggling with it, so it kind of ended up just living in another neighbor's basement and kind of became the the neighborhood bicycle that got passed around as we all learned to wing, um, which was great. So I got to get on like a big stable board, big stable foil, um, and really figure it out for those, those first times. And then after that ended up taking an old windsurfing board, chopping the nose and the tail off of it. And my buddy and I glassed some foil tracks into the bottom and made a little 90 liter board. Oh, Nice. nice. Yeah, that that sounds like a perfect setup to pass around and learn on. That's awesome. Yeah, it's great. It's still going. It's still still teaching people. Nice. And so once you, that's, that's an interesting way to go about it. I guess there wasn't many wing boards around when you were. Um, yeah, it was super finding, super finding hard it, to you know, find. And, um, and at that point, I mean, it was you know still new and expensive. It was hard to get gear, and it was like, all right, you know is this winging thing actually gonna, is it really going to be a thing or is this just a fad? You know, I don't know. Are really going to like it? Um, and I was trying to buy a board. I was trying to buy like a three in one board cause I was still windsurf foiling a little bit and I knew I wanted the sup foil. Yeah. And so I was trying to find, you know, a, a bigger board with a mass track that I could still do all the things on and had, I was on a wait list at wind dance to get a board and didn't know when that was going to come. I was like, all right, I have this broken windsurfer here, got buddies with, you know, good glassing skills. So let's just make a little chop shop and do it. And then I can spend money on a foil and a wing and go that route instead. Nice. That probably ended up being the right move because it's, um, the boards changed so much from that first generation. And yeah. I guess to be fair, the wings and foils it as well, but nice. And so once you got on that setup, I guess you, that gave you quite a bit of room to improve. 
compared to that big uh, setup you're on. Yeah, actually. yeah, it was really it was nice to get down to a smaller board. Um, ended up picking up some slingshot gear. Um, I had the what was it like the Hoverglide eighty four, um, like mm-hmm. a two thousand square centimeter foil, and my dad had the the seventy six, like their fifteen hundred. So we had a you know yep. kind of a com- compatible foil range. Picked up two of the Slingwing V2s as my first setup. Um, you know, was able to to really kick off the learning curve and have some fun. Yeah, that's great. I mean, I think we actually both of us learned on exactly those foils on the yeah. Infinity eighty four and the uh, and the seventy six, and eventually the ninety nine came around as well, which is a uh, even better yeah. than the eighty four as that first as the first foil. But yeah, that, those were kind of ahead of their time. And I feel like they worked super well. And obviously now there's so many foils that work well on the market, but uh, those were definitely yeah they right got us all going at the right price point. So it was key. Totally. Oh yeah, they they still are. Yeah, they they pushed their gear yeah. a lot. But um, miss maybe for our, for our audience at home, um, how did you start doing stuff with KT? Um. So. Let's see. That was yeah. Twenty twenty was I picked up foiling. Twenty that winter and summer of twenty twenty one, I was in Rhode Island again, and I was going back and forth between Rhode Island and Jackson Hole, trying to kind of figure out what was happening in the pandemic, and ended up moving out to Hood River um, in the fall of twenty one. Um, kind of just happened to work out. Life. This episode is brought to you by Saladita Kite School in La Ventana, Mexico. If you caught some of our uh, stories yesterday on Instagram, you'll have seen that. I just got in a couple epic days of downwinding. We got a 10-kilometer downwinder done with my buddy Mickey from Salt Spring Island. Today, I got in an epic one with my friend Britt. Um, we went from Latuna all the way to the beach and back. Um, heck of a fun time if you're looking to learn there's nothing better than getting a lesson from the pros at saladita kite school they are positioned at latuna and now that i've been here a little while i've gotten the opportunity to visit to a couple different spots it is one of the more beginner friendly beaches with some nice sand so you're not walking on any rocks Um, they do offer professional jet ski assisted kite and wing foil lessons um, so once again, they're at Latuna. So if you want to grab a beer after, grab some ice cream, grab anything, it is a nice little hub there. So you're not just stuck kind of in the middle of nowhere. So they have you covered if you want to learn how to kite, foil, or looking into downwinding. They got top quality gear as well. Uh, so don't hesitate. Book your lessons today by visiting saladitalaventana.com or send them a message on Instagram at saladita kite school at saladita kite school style wise um for my girlfriend and i to to make the move here to the pmw um moved out here without a job but knew that i wanted to be here i'd always heard of the gorge i'd been here once before but had never sailed here but had heard the myth and the lore from my dad and all his windsurfing buddies who had all spent a ton of time out here um so it was always a place i knew i wanted to be and winging really kind of gave me that extra push of like i'd decided I wanted to be really good at this sport and this was the place to do that. Um, so moved out here without a job and ended up being able to, uh, 
get a job with KT. They were hiring for uh, the North American sales rep position. Um, so I hopped on with them a year ago and started getting to work with this great brand and riding some of the best gear out there. It's been amazing. Oh, wow, man. That's a, uh, that's, that's a really exciting story into that. Yeah, it was a, it was a, a lucky one for sure. How did you meet the, how'd you meet the team? Like where you just happened to be there kind of a lot of our stories on here. Like we've talked to some athletes now from all around the world and they tell us their stories of how they got to where they got. That's part of what we really like to hear. Um, because sometimes there's people at home who, who might be working jobs and they have a dream and they're not sure how to connect those dots. So I'd love to kind of hear, uh, hear more of that from you. Yeah. Not to say that working in the wind industry isn't. <laughs> no, it's a super hard job. <laughs> no, definitely a job, for sure. Um, I got, I got real lucky. I mean, I was, I was job hunting hard, you know, looking at everything under the sun, um, you know, from cold calling sales rep positions with anything, I was, I was broke and looking for a job and, uh, ended up seeing, uh, they, they had posted the job on like the Gorge windsurfers Facebook page. Um, so just kind of, you know, happened to see the job and immediately, you know, sent them my information and was able to link up with Vicki Abbott who runs the North American operation. She was here in hood river and, just was able, you know, was able to get in right as they posted it. I was just on it, networking and job hunting and was able oh, to hop nice. right in. So really oh, just nice. good timing, good luck. And, you know, I put in a lot of hard work job hunting before that, but it, the, the pieces just aligned for me. Oh, yeah. Aligning like passion and work and then being with a company that you care about their values and their all of that is is, is a special connection for sure. Yeah, it really, really worked out well. Nice. Can you tell us a little bit about KT? Like there's a lot, they're, they're obviously boards, phenomenal, like some absolutely phenomenal boards. Their wings now, I just received um, the V, their, their second, like 2023 wings with the hard handles. Pretty, pretty blown away by those as well. Um, but let's say, hey, can you tell us a little bit about just KT as a brand and, and why you do enjoy it? Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, so KT is, stands for Keith Tabool. He's the shaper um, for the brand. And the the story really starts with Quattro windsurfing, um, which was Keith and um, the Goya brothers, Francisco and Lalo, and a couple other original partners uh, who were all pro windsurfers back in the 90s. And they needed to make better waveboards. Um, they were all sailing Okipa, and windsurfing was, you know, in its heyday, really booming. And they wanted to make better waveboards. So they started a brand on Maui um, with four partners called Quattro and started making waveboards. And that then expanded into Goya windsurfing um, where they launched a full windsurfing line of sails, masts, booms, everything, um, and Goya boards as well. And then in the mid 2000s, they launched KT Surfing um, you know, specifically under Keith's brand, um, but within the same organization. So that became the surf brand. Um, and they make boards now for, you know, Kai Lenny, Ian Walsh, um, a bunch of the pros on tour and really launched the, the high end surf brand under KT. And then when foiling came around, um, we had boards kind of under different brands. We were making, 
surf foil boards under KT and then started making wing foil boards under Quattro um, because that was also the SUP brand. So we thought maybe the the bigger wing boards would fit under Quattro. And then uh, when winging really came about, they pulled from their windsurfing knowledge and started making wings um, with Jason Diffin, the wing, the windsurf sail designer and realized that we needed to align all of the foiling under one brand. Um, so really brought it all under KT, brought the wings under KT, brought the original Quattro wing drifter and the KT drifter full to bring them together into the KT wing drifter line, along with the KT drifter slim, the uh, prone foil boards, just to really consolidate all of the foiling under the KT brand. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I think that was, that was a pretty good solid play. Um, bringing all those aspects together and kind of making it uniform. I don't think anybody knew how and how big and how quick foiling and or like wing foiling would explode, but I think that was a good play for the future. Absolutely. Yeah. We needed to, you know, right. Needed to get it under one brand. Um, and, you know, it, it really could have fallen under any single one of them. Everyone knows, everyone knows the different brands under their own industries, but um, now I think the, the task is telling that forward Maui KT Goya Quattro story to, to tie in, you know, the KT foiling to the Goya windsurfing heritage to the Quattro Maui heritage, um, because KT is not just some startup foiling brand that, that hopped on the bandwagon here. There's 30 years of design behind everything they do um, from the boards, from the windsurfing sails, pulling that into the wings. Um, it's an incredibly talented team that's been at this for a long time. Oh yeah. And the team riders, like obviously Kai and a bunch of other people that are riding for them, like you're getting some of the best riders in the world to test out gear and to be there on that R and D team. Um, so the the products are just they are they're quality stuff. Absolutely, yeah. I mean the the mentality is definitely you know make they want to make gear that they love to ride and that and it's a big team rider feedback experience um, through the design of right. What do we want to be riding? What feels do we like? What are we searching for? It's not a it's never like a play the market. This is what the other people are doing you know, try to chase this brand or that brand. It's, you know, what are we looking for? What are our riders looking, you know, what are the feels and their goals that they're looking to get and how do we design around the, those aspects? Yeah. I heard that about, like, cause I was on Maui. It's been a while now. I'm due to go back, but I was back there in 2012 when there was an Aloha classic and um, I was able to meet some of the, the guys there. So I met Francisco and I think I, I don't even, may have met Keith in person there at the shop. Um, and it, it was a really good family vibe kind of thing, a family feel. And, and that's what they told me exactly. It was that day is like, we like to make stuff that we and our, our riders like to ride. And that's where we focus our energies. And and I kind of fell in love with the brand then just because of how personable and nice and kind they were. Um, yeah. Cause now with so many brands on the market, um, we're looking for a little bit more, like, why are we buying what we're buying? Um, like, what are they doing? Who's writing for them? And then what, what are their core values and whatnot? Yeah, right. The, the market, I mean, the foil market is so saturated right now, you know, oh, everyone yeah. who has any tie to, to the industry is 
making a wing, a board and a foil and doing it. And the it's been amazing because the collective, you know, level of gear has come up so quickly that, you know, you're hard pressed to find a, a bad board, you know, yeah. on the market now. So it's more like what you're saying. It's, you know, picking your brand that has the values you're going to stand behind that you want to support that you think is going to, you know, continue to design well and that it's kind of an ecosystem you can buy into. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Especially. Yeah. Cause wind, wind for all of us who are in wind sports, like it, it's such a love and it's such a passion that we want to make sure that our money goes to that right place. There's some buyers that are bargain hunters. There's some buyers that are, that are just looking for the most expensive, but there's a lot of else other us that are just looking for, to stand behind a brand that we respect and that we like. So um, are we able to kind of go into a little bit of the different, so we have wings, we got foils and we got our boards. What do we want to start on chatting about first? I don't know. Um, let's start from the top down. Let's start with wings. Okay. Okay. Let's do it. KT waited a little bit before they came out with their first wing. Like there was a lot of companies that came out with their V1s right away. The V1s were eh, mediocre. Some of them were okay. Like F1's wings came out and they were pretty decent. Uh, but there were some other ones that were just not quite there. So did KT wait on purpose? Did they wait just to see what everybody uh, or how did that kind of work? Yeah, KT definitely waited on purpose. Um, I mean, again, so we never like KT Goya Quattro never went into the kiting world of it. They're always been like a you know, traditionally hardcore surf, windsurfing and surfing brand. Um, so, <clears throat> excuse me. I think initially it was like, let's wait and see what's actually happening with this whole sport um, before okay. we go and, and really dive into it. <clears throat> um, they never dabbled into the, the inflatable market, if you will, um, from kiting. And then, as you said, you know, a lot of the V wing, V1 wings really did not, hit you know they could get you up and going for the most part but they were not by any means balanced or efficient and that was something that jason diffin the the goya windsurfing sail designer and now the wing designer you know really wanted to avoid he did not want to put out a bad product um and no one at the company wanted to put something out that they knew wasn't gonna hit the mark um mm -hmm. so they waited they you know, researched, you know, and like rode what other brands were making and then spent a lot of time on their own design and pulling from their windsurfing designs. Um, I think they went through, you know, six, seven, eight different iterations at the beginning, designing on Maui, testing in the waves, testing light water, you know, in the harbor, uh, light wind in the harbor, really just trying to dial in those different iterations so that when KT finally did come to market with a wing, we knew it was going to perform well. Okay. Okay. Can you walk us a little bit about material choices for leading edge and canopy and maybe why they went with like the handles on the KTs were some of the longest in the market I found, but I liked them. Like I got last year's wings and, and, um, I found that transitions were easy. I, I could put my hands at every single spot along even though it was a material based handle um can we walk through some of that yeah um i can't talk too much specifics about 
the different well, Jason's on the coming on. on the leading edge and the canopy. I was going to say that's a yeah. Jason question. <laughs> I I could try, but I'm going to get it wrong, so I'm going to leave that for him at a later date. Yeah, fair enough. Um, I can definitely speak to the handles um, because okay. they are one of my favorite parts of our soft handle wing. We now have a hard handle wing out as well. Um, but the kind of defining feature of our wing, and you alluded to it, is those long handles, and especially the long front handle that connects all the way out onto the leading edge bladder. Um, mm -hmm. And that was something that Jason and the team spent a lot of time designing on and really similar to a windsurfing boom, wanted to have that front hand connection point pulling the power at the front of the sail, right? If you have your handle further back on the boom, on the strut, that means that you have power zone in front of your front hand, mm -hmm. right? So that leverage point is now in front of your front hand, if I'm going this way. Um, and where if you connect the handle all the way out to the leading edge, you're moving that fulcrum of your lever all the way out on the other side of the power zone. So it balances the wing a lot better um, for that front hand pull, makes it a lot easier to control and fine tune your front hand. And then as you're surfing, or going through maneuvers, you're able to slide your front hand all the way out towards that leading edge. Half the time mm -hmm. when I'm surfing those wings, I'm not even going to that front surf handle. I'm just mm -hmm. sliding my front hand all the way up, right up under the leading edge and cruising there because I know I'm only going to surf for a little bit. I'm riding a little piece of wind chop or a little swell, and then I'm going to transition right back in to sailing. And just being able to, to slide your hand all the way forward there makes that a lot easier. Same thing, especially going through tacks, being able to just slide your hand all the way up front there, pull the wing over your head, makes it really easy to control, makes it really easy to control that leading edge through as you go through the wind window too. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because last year I was at Nitnat Lake giving some lessons on Vancouver Island and just north of you. And what I found is I had some KTs, a bunch of my buddies were all riding different companies, but there was the recessed handle where I could not bring my hand up. Sometimes I just wanted to be able to relax or like cut some power or do something like that or surf with it further ahead. And that wing just didn't offer that opportunity. So it, it was almost like, yeah, you're windsurfing and you just jack your hands further back and then you got like right. a foot or two foot of power and boom, it hits you. And it's like, yep, there's nothing exactly wrong right. with Yeah, slide back yeah. power, slide forward and depower, same way you would as a windsurfing sail. It just makes sense. Yeah, the same thing with going upwind, right? Because a lot of the times you're raking your wing back to the further back part of the window to go upwind. And I found that was, it can be a little easier. Um, and then this year you switched to hard handles, which I just actually had my first sessions on a couple days ago. And I, I really liked them. I wasn't sure what I would think of hard handles. I was a little hesitant about it, but um, I love it. Um, so what are your thoughts about yeah, that? Yeah, I'm, I'm a big fan of the new direct drive wings. Um, we, that was a, a kind of a, a mid-season decision for us. Um, the, the whole um, wing world, for the most part, you know, is going to a hard handle move. So we had started playing around with it and wanted to get it out there onto the market for people to use. Um, and I love the hard handles. I can't speak highly enough about them. That direct control you have over the wing to be able to move it in all three dimensions, forward, back, up, down, in and out is 
so amazing. I think the, the pumping power that you gain and the efficiency is incredible. Um, easily took three or four knots off of my low end to be able to get up on a wing, just to be able to like push the wing out away from me, articulate my wrists and really control that scooping pump power. Um, same thing, jumping and tacking, being able to like really hang on the wing, um, hang on those hard handles and have control of it um, while it's over your head is so nice. No, fair enough. And we're stoked to we're stoked to talk to Jason about that stuff too, about placement and how he chose the length that they chose and all of that kind of thing. Um, let's hop over to boards. Like we've seen a couple, a couple editions of, and you got the new beautiful Jinsu behind you there. Um, stoked to hear a bit more about that transition. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah. So KT has a lot of different boards. Um, as I mentioned, the foil board started with the, the Quattro wing drifter um, that most people have probably seen around that dark blue board was one of the top selling wing boards for a while out there. And then we had the KT Drifter Fulls, which were the smaller volumes, the 54 liters and down. We brought that together into the KT Wing Drifter line, which is kind of your standard board shape. It has a you know concave bottom, flat deck, uh, pretty traditional rocker lines. And then last year in 2022, end of 2022, beginning of 2023, uh, we launched the KT Ginsu. Um, which is the crazy step bottom design board. I've got it. Got one here. If you're oh, nice. watching online, um, with this crazy step bottom, um, it's a pretty wild design and it started with a lot of input from Kyle Lenny and Elliot LeBeau as they're really looking for that thinner back foot section where your foot connects to the foil. You know, they're coming from riding really small prone boards and kite foil boards where you had that really thin direct connection to the foil. And as we transitioned to winging, you know, we were, they were hunting for that feeling, that more direct power connection for tighter turns and more powerful jumps and pumping. Um, so they started playing with, you know, putting this step into the board, um, found out that as you might expect, it creates a pretty inherent weak point in the board. Um, mm -hmm. And, you know, they're designing this on Maui. So it's, Every foil company in the world has people on Maui. A lot of them design on Maui. So this was a, a real kind of cloak and dagger operation to get this board through the design process with the guys like bringing boards in board bags into the water, trying to find like really unique secret spots where they could launch, where there weren't other people looking, you know, making sure that no one was out taking photos of anything um, oh, yeah. and started designing these boards and, really pulled from the windsurfing waveboard technology that they had to build these boards super stiff and super bomber um, with a full sandwich construction on the inside and a full carbon monarch um, exterior so that they were able to make it super stiff so that they don't break. Um, and you get that really direct connection to the foil. And as we started playing with these designs, they realize that not only do you get the more direct connection to the foil, but as you're riding, you know, you get going, you're riding on the bottom of the board on the nose of the boards on the water and your tail is already out of the water, right? So it puts that surface tension release in between your feet with the volume under your front foot. So you're able to kind of bounce on the front of the board, start pumping the foil and then like kick right up onto the foil. 
um, kind of like a different way of taking off from like your traditional, like planning start, if you will, mm -hmm. but it works really well. Um, you know, get you up onto the foil faster for sure. And then what I love about having that step in the middle now is when you touch down, just touching down on the top of a wave or off of a jump, again, that surface tension release is in between your feet. So you, the front of the board hits the water, the tail is still free. So you just push right through and there's no grab or suction on the board. Like I don't even blink when I touch down anymore. It's just like, Oh, you just bounce right up or oh, I'm low riding. Oh, I'm getting close to my stall speed. Nose of the board hits, kick my tail, pop right back up. And there's no okay. grab on the board. It's really amazing. Oh, cool. What have you noticed? Like I wrote it last year, Jesse at uh, Dirty Mermaid Water Sports there in Vancouver Island brought some in and he, and he, mess he calls me. He's like, hey, bud, I have it. You want to come and test this puppy out? So I was like, sweet. So we test drove it and um, I was riding the 72 liter KT, so the, the, the regular board. And then I switched to this one and I found this one railed, like it railed left and right easier. It was quicker. It was more responsive. Um, I found getting up on it was a, it wasn't as hard. Some guys had said it was harder because the tail would sink, but actually it wasn't because there was so much more float in the front. But overall, I found that it just railed better. Um, have yeah, you I mean, that that's that, kind of thing? that's that direct, that's that more direct connection with your back foot to the foil. Mm -hmm. It just makes it so much more maneuverable. I mean, if you think of the physics of it, your your the force your body is exerting is going through less foam to get to the foil. So it's that, mm -hmm. you know, it's a, stiff board construction and you're pushing through a thin stiff tail to give you that much more direct tighter feel to your foil so yeah you're able to rail turns a lot harder snap them back and forth and you're just not losing that force through your maneuvers mm -hmm. yeah i'm excited to see what they come up with next you and me both <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. And I, I definitely don't want to, I don't want to take anything away. I didn't mean to short sell the wing drifters by any stretch. No, um, I love them. Awesome. And yeah, I wrote a, I still ride a 90 and a 60 liter, um, wing drifter whenever I can. Um, yeah, they're again, we're a board shaping company. I mean, nothing, everything that Keith and the design team does has a very specific reason. Um, and they, you know, they know what they're doing with that. We've been doing it for a long time, windsurfing and surfing. Um, so they pulled that, all of that years of design into those boards as well. And the double concave bottom, the rounded rails um, really does work really well. The, the super smooth takeoff and touchdown, um, you know, and they're not just, you know, phoning it in with a flat bottom and a rounded tail. There's still a lot of design that goes into the shapes and those in that whole board line fully frothing on downwind life. Um, I, I make myself go winging cause I do still love it, but downwinding has taken over my life. Um, I'm, I'm fully hooked and could not be happier to have this baby in my life. Um, I learned to, I got into downwind supping pretty early on. I was surf supping again, initially, you know, Back in 2020, that was one of the first, you know, disciplines I knew I wanted to get into as a surfer as well. And, you know, on the first, in Rhode Island, the first, you know, hurricane rolled through and we tried to go out and 
downwind sup and, you know, 50 knots of wind and couldn't get up at all. Couldn't make it happen. You know, just dogging it, trying to get going. And last year I was out here in the gorge. Everyone was starting to get into downwinding. I had a bunch of buddies that were doing it. And everyone who was into it was just frothing so hard. I mean, it was, you know, everyone was loving it. So I was like, all right, got to do this. It's the pinnacle of foiling and I've got to try it. So I was on a, a six, six by 27 rectangular board. That was, a, you know, worked great in the surf, but I would just paddle and spin me in circles. And I spent all summer last year trying to get going on that board. And I was riding, I, I downwind on Takuma Kijiras and I was, on the 1210, I borrowed a friend's 1440 um, and was could finally get it going on like the big days, blowing 30 plus, big swells at the hatchery. And if I got it just right, I could get that board up on foil. And I was so freaking stoked to finally get going on that board, but had to be blowing, you know, 25, 30 plus for it to even be possibly attainable for me. And then, um, KT had been, we'd been working on downwind boards and they had prototypes coming together in Maui, but they weren't bringing them over to the mainland for us. They were trying them there. And I finally got to try one of the prototypes at AWSI last year out here in the gorge. And Mm. uh, it was, there wasn't a ton of wind, but I was able to get up in 14 knots. And then I was able to flat water start it. And I was like, blew my mind absolutely blew my mind i was on an it was it was the 8 125 130 liter board somewhere in that range and it was 21 wide it was super narrow i thought this thing's going to be so hard to stand on you know like how's this even going to work it's eight feet long it's going to be massive and it was super easy to balance on paddled really well and the foil tracks were so far forward that once you got up, it didn't feel like you were riding a huge board. I was still able to link tight turns in the troughs and it just, the efficiency was amazing. Um, and now we have a full production line of downwind boards that are about to hit the U S they should be here in the next couple of weeks. Um, and they're making They've been making customs out of the shop on Maui for a couple months now, which I was able to snag one. Um, from Keith and the guys down there to get up here in the gorge. And there's a few of us here that have them now and they are amazing. Um, the KT Ginsu dragonfly is what they're calling them. And if you're watching, you can see this still has a little Ginsu step here. Um, sorry, what was that? Oh, I was going to say, if we could see it, that would be unreal. Um, give you the full, the full look-see here. Um, so oh, that's cool. a, a seven, seven by one ten um, by 20 and a quarter wide. Um, and the, again, the guys put a ton of time into the design on these boards. Um, okay. You know, they, they don't want to just throw something out there that to try to, you know, hit the market fast. They really spent a lot of time, editing and revising and revising and pulling these designs together. Um, you know, looking at, and really it's looking at all different watercraft, you know, making a board, making a board that goes fast through the water, 
is not a new concept, right? Um, so, you know, looking at open ocean canoes, looking at whitewater kayaks, looking at America's cup yachts and super maxi designs, you know, how do we make a board that's really efficient at going through the water? We know how to make a board that rides well on foil, but Mm -hmm. what the kind of the downwind world learned from Dave Kalama and his barracudas is that if you make a narrower, uh, longer, narrower board it is much more efficient paddling through the water, which makes it a lot easier to take off and get up on foil. Um, and that, okay. that it's really become the, the crux of downwind foiling is how easy okay. is the takeoff, right? Once you get up, you're foiling, you're riding on a foil, you're using your same gear and, but you need to be able to get on foil and the better the board is, the easier it is to do. And the, basically shittier conditions you can do it in. Um, mm -hmm. And I think they've really nailed it. The, the new round of downwind boards that are coming out to the world are going to open that sport up to the masses. Um, again, like, I mean, I struggled. I'm not, I'm by no means a professional athlete, but I'm a, a reasonably fit person. And I get probably 200 plus days a year on the water now. And I struggled so hard trying to figure out okay. downwind supping last year in one of the best places in the world to learn it. And these yeah. boards are going to open it up. Um, they are so efficient and they're really not that hard to balance on. I feel like that's the other scary thing when you go to a board like this is, you know, this board is 110 liters, but it's only... 20 inches wide, 20 and a quarter wide. Hmm. So it feels really narrow and you've got this rounded hull shape and, you know, it feels like it's just going to seesaw out from underneath you and there's no way you're going to be able to stand on it. But the foil create acts as a keel, you know, wood on a boat and it gives you that ballast and balance underneath the water. And then as opposed to having a big wide flat surfs up that gets bounced around by the chop and floats on the surface, with a narrower hull shape design, it really sits in the water and gets held in the water. So it is a, actually a really stable platform, um, you know, to get up and balance on. And, you know, you're not trying to, you're not on like a regular sup, you're not paddling upwind or trying to like paddle across, you know, the chop and like, you know, go for a tour. You're generally positioning yourself facing downwind, paddling with the swell, with the wind. Um, so it is a really stable platform to get up and get going on. We don't often get easterlies here in hood river, but we had like a 10 to 15 knot easterly rolling through the gorge. Cause it was hot as hell out here. And we brought the downwind boards down to the waterfront and I was sailing on a five meter and 10 knots of wind on the downwind board. Um, again, like the, the efficiency through the water is so good. Um, that as long, as soon as you get a puffer, you can, you know, get a little bit of power to pump the wing. The board just wants to take off and release. Um, so it's hmm. like, if you're looking at, you know, so many companies are making like seven and eight meter wings. I can tell you, I will never own, I will never ride anything bigger than a five, maybe a six meter because I'll ride that board. And it takes that whole friction and a you know, the friction concept of getting up onto the foil out of the equation. And it's super easy to get up. You have one little gust and then you're up and riding on, you know, whatever foil you want to ride. And once you're up, it doesn't, you know, the wing size is not as relevant. Um, and it doesn't feel, it still rides 
great on foil. I mean, that's the whole concept of it ripping as a downwind board too. So it doesn't feel weird to be winging on it by any means. Yeah. One of my, one of my buddies on Vancouver Island pulled one out last year and, um, and he was just like, this is what's coming. And I was like, yeah. And, and so I was like, so I, I'd never really heard of a downwind board and, and like all that kind of, so it was just interesting to see that design and the shape change and, and, and everything. So it's nice to kind of hear and learn more about it for people at home who, uh, it could add a completely new dimension to, yeah, uh, to it, the sport. It adds a new dimension to the winging. I also have taken it out to the coast and ridden it in the surf a couple times now. And it's my new favorite surf tool. Like I was in, okay. I'm an average probably a below average prone foiler i can do it but i'm you know six one two fifteen and i don't surf that much so my pop-up is pretty garbage and it usually takes okay. me a you know a session to get it back but i took the downwind board out and i'm able to sit outside the surf lineup away from everyone not deal with any of the shenanigans and as soon as a wave starts to wall up or show its face at all it's so easy to paddle up on and catch on the downwind board. And then I'm just ripping unbroken swell on the outside of the surf lineup, picking my line, cruising past the lineup out onto the shoulder, just ripping turns. Last time I was out, I caught probably 30 or 40 waves in three hours. Like it was just lap and repeat and repeat. They're light, super lightweight. I was on a, I was on the Takuma 1210, which I can pump pretty well. I was, you know, able to double up and like, and I wasn't fighting for a wave with anyone. Like I was running my complete own program with probably 50 other people in the water. And I was sitting a hundred yards out and off to the shoulder, just having my own playground. It was amazing. No, oh, that's sweet. Um, let's dabble into some foils. Curious to see what, um, cause I, I know my friend Kem company came out. I tried some of them with Jesse last year. Do you have any insights into that whole area of the um, environment too? Yeah. So, Right. So KT distributes, um, for MFC Maui Finn company. Um, and they've had a few hiccups along the way with their foils and are really, I know they're working on some new stuff right now, some new high aspect stuff. Um, cause they were one of the first foil brands to come out onto the market, um, back in like 2018, 2019, then had some production problems and kind of, they spent a few years, um, dealing with some internal production and factory issues that kind of left them a little bit behind the ball with the new high aspect tipping point in the foil market. Um, that they're just coming around to, I haven't seen any of their new prototypes yet, but I know that they have some new stuff coming. Um, kind of simultaneously KT is also working on some foil design with them and with our mm -hmm. own factories. Um, that's still, in the works, um, nothing, nothing I can officially report there yet. Um, okay. But okay. Yeah, that's kind of, I'm writing some, I guess, KT prototypes right now that are out of the, the Goya factory. Um, and all that. Okay. Jason's been hot on that project as well. So that's another, you can pick his brain on that. Um, <laughs> but sure. for, for the winging side, I mean, it blows my mind what we're all riding right now. I, you know, again, mm -hmm. I learned, three years ago on a 2000 square centimeter foil. And now I don't ride anything bigger than a 900. Or I think my okay. wing foil is a 920. And I ride that in every wind condition. 
um, oh, wow. unless it gets, unless I go down to a 700. Um, okay. Yeah. And you're, you're lucky you're, you all, you're, you've chosen to be there, but it's such a beautiful place with a bit nicer wind. Um, yeah, I, I am so, definitely yeah, spoiled so, yeah. where, you know, pretty much any given day it's, it's going to hit 20, if not 30 plus. Oh Yeah. Absolutely. Now, have you found like we talked to Sensi Graves from from Hood River as well, and she was using a slightly bigger board um, for her weight. And when you're not riding the downwinder or the the Jinsu, like what do you what's your board of choice, for example, for leaders? And because you said you had a 16 to 90, you said. Yeah, so I was riding that, and I've actually this Jinsu that I was showing earlier is a 54 liter, and I've gone right. to that pretty much all the time. Um, it was actually Sensi's okay. uh, husband, Brandon, who I sail with them a lot. And I was, I was really trying to push my sinker board game last year. It's a very windy place here. And I was riding, I had a 46 liter Ginsu and a 42 liter wing drifter. And I was playing with those two boards and I'm 215 pounds for reference. Um, so I'm a pretty okay. big guy. And, you know, I was playing with the sinker boards and, I could do it if it was, if it was really ripping and I was a little overpowered on my wing size and I could get dragged up out of the water. It was a blast and I could rip on, you know, on that 40 ish mid forties range. And I was sitting in the water at the hatchery and Brandon was sailing circles around me, you know, goofing with me going, you know, it's a lot more fun than sitting in the water foiling. Um, and he's about the same size as me. So I was chatting with him afterwards and he was riding a 60 liter board. I was like, all right. Like I thought that that was in that kind of like unattainable midsize range for me that I couldn't do. Um, cause it was just mm. too corky and I couldn't sink it, but he was making it look easy. So I grabbed a 60 liter wing drifter at first and now I'm on the 54 liter Ginsu. And I, that's kind of a, a next progression step that I unlocked last fall of, that kind of mid sinker start. And I actually just kneel on the board underwater, um, find that balance point on my knees underwater. I'm able to get the wing overhead and then get, a, get the board right up onto the surface. As soon as I have power in the wing. And once the board's on the surface and I'm on my knees, then it's easy to stand up on, um, as you would on any other board knee starting. And once I kind of unlocked that balance point, it takes a little bit of practice of flailing and flopping around and figuring out how to balance on the board underwater and finding that right volume for you that works and to be able to get the wing overhead. And there's a lot of different techniques that people use. There's, you know, the stink bug start where you're on your stomach holding the handles of the wing and like inchworm yourself up onto your knees or I do the full sink the board on my, like both knees on the board get the wing over my head and get going, you know, from a stationary mm. start. Um, Brandon's really good. And he put out a good video over the winter of the like starting sitting on your board and then being able to go from sitting up onto your knees. I have pretty bad hip flexibility, so I'm not too good at that. I can do it sometimes with that. I found that getting your upwind knee onto the board first and kind of like sinking that upwind rail helped me a lot because it kind of keeps the board tracking across the wind. If you sink that upwind rail and I was able to like wiggle my way up to my knees from there, but being able to unlock that midsize volume has really stopped me from riding anything in the 90 liters that I was riding previously. 
Um, I can ride the 54 and pretty much anything. I rode it with a six meter a couple weeks ago and it was blowing 10 to 15. Um, and if I can be riding that board, having that small volume and maneuverability is so fun. And as long as I don't get stuck having to slog my way back in, then I'm in pretty good shape. But I do still ride. I have a 92 liter Ginsu that I ride a lot as well, especially in the winter when the water's colder and I don't really want to just be hanging out trying to sink start. Um, yep. And I love that board. Like with that step tail cut out, it's still, it's only five, two and still feels super small and maneuverable. Um, and it's able to fully float me and low ride me back home. If the wind dies or it gets cold. I'm, I'm very, no, very notorious for always trying to find the low end of my gear, and I find it frequently. <laughs> well, that's what you're supposed to do as a sales rep, right? right? Like try all these different conditions, and then when you have a conversation with somebody, you say, "Why are you riding that thing for?" Yeah, you can come over. You, you can go. You can go smaller. You can go smaller. <laughs> awesome. Yeah, I mean, I, I have the 46 still sitting in my shed, and. I'm trying to sell it to a friend. I don't think I'll ride it again. It's fun to ride and I love to ride it when it's blowing 30, but there's a chance I end up sitting stuck in a lull for a half hour with it too, where I know on the 54, yeah. I can be up riding immediately. And the trade-off for me is not that significant. Like I don't, I can maybe make a little bit of tighter turns and faster pumping the jumping on the 54 feels just as good. Like I don't feel like I have a big board swinging under my feet or anything like that. Um, and it's just that much more forgiving on the landing as well. Like, um, I don't think I will go back to a full sinker. How long did it take you to kind of nail that knee start with the board under the water? Um, took me a probably three or four sessions of kind of floundering around and struggling with it. I mean, Having the sinker board experience already, I was, you know, comfortable balancing on a board underwater and like had the practice for getting the wing into the right position. And I think a lot of it, balancing on the board underwater, I don't think is that difficult. You can, I mean, you could go out in no wind and you can practice doing that. For me, the hardest part and where I still end up, you know, falling off is getting, you know, your, I go front hand. You know, I'm on the, trying to get onto the board, one hand on the nose of the board, one hand on the handle on my wing, on the surf handle of the wing, <coughs> and kind of using the wing as balance to get my knees on the board, find that balance point, and then you've got to make that move from pressing the wing into the water to having the wing in both hands over your head. And mm -hmm. I think that's the, that's the hardest piece of the puzzle to figure out and so i kind of set myself up facing across the wind obviously weighing on the downwind side and so you know downwind hand holding the wing on the water upwind hand on the board and then i'll actually bring i bring the wing up to me you can't reach to the wing bring the wing up over my head grab my upwind hand my front hand onto that front handle and usually i'll then press the leading edge back into the water on the upwind side of me. Um, so I'm then under okay. like fully under the canopy of the wing strut in front okay. of me, leading edge pressed into the water. So now I'm both okay. hands on the wing 
I can kind of at that time still adjust myself on the board if I need to. You know, I can even if the nose pops up, I can grab the nose of the board with my hands on the handles, wiggle myself around, but I can really get set still using the wing as a balance point. And then I can, in that position, wait for a gust to come before I pop the wing up over my head and then I'm ready to go and take off. But I think that's okay. where I struggle and where I see people struggle the most is like, you can balance on the board under the water when you have the wing to hold on to, but getting the wing into that sailing position is the real struggle. Yeah. And on this, and on the full thinker, right. You need to use the leash to get it under you. I guess I do that as well. I choke up on the leash, hold the wing down. You're like, yeah, get on the board. And then once my knees are on the board, I have one hand on the board and then I go up to that, to the surf handle on the wing. So that I'm then really like pressing on the leading edge, but yeah bringing it over you and pressing the leading edge into the water on the upwind side keeps the wing stalled out into the wind and lets you keep that leading edge or the strut or the wing tip, you know, some part of the wing still in the water there to give you that extra float and extra balance. It was definitely easier with the, the soft handle KT wings to make that move, right? With that handle all the way up, mm-hmm. I would just reach under the wing to the, you know, below the leading edge there grab that front handle and then I'm already holding the handle there. So then it's an easy move, you know, right up into both hands. Um, yeah. When you're, when you're fishing around way back for a, for a front handle, it's definitely more difficult. Um, have you had the opportunity like in your, in your winging career so far to, to travel to different spots and sail some cool spots? Um, not as much as I would like, definitely want to more. Um, I've gotten to go down to Maui. Um, got down there last year and got to get out and sail at Ka'a and over at Kanaha Point, which is amazing. If you're a winger, highly, highly recommend the Maui trip. Sailing at um, Kanaha Beach and Ka'a is, it's a foil playground. I mean, the, the outer reefs there on a, you know, small to mid-sized bay are just perfect two to three foot, three to four foot breaking waves over a four foot, five foot deep reef. You're not going to hit your foil on it. And then it just rolls into the inner bay of like cruising flat water rollers. Um, it was just like blew me away with how fun it was to just be able to play in the waves, rip turns, go outside into ocean swell, come back in, surf a wave all the way in. It just doesn't break onto the rocks or onto a you know dry reef. It just, mellows right out onto the inside i could i could play there for hours um and did play there for days and then i got to get down to baja and spend some time down in la ventana again this past winter beautiful um was down there for two weeks i love it down there in the winter time it's so fun and the downwinders down there are blast um you know the it's so easy and just you drive right up to the hot springs beach you have an eight mile run right back down to baja joe's and um, when the Norte's fill in there, the swell is on and it is a, bl- um, it's been cool to see winging kind of take that town over now too. Um, oh yeah, we had Wyatt on and he said he moved there. I think when there were like two restaurants or something. Yeah, that it's, it's really blown up. Uh, but it's still fun. It's still dirt roads. It's still a good, you know, a good low key vibe. Um, hopefully we're still saying that in another 10 years. Um, it's a special place. It's a cool, the cool confluence of, you know, wind sports and local Mexican culture. And, um, it's a lot of fun. I really love it down there. 
Oh, nice. So does your uh, does your partner wing with you, or is she into water sports too? She does not. Um, she's she's from the mountains, and she's is not a, a water child right. like me as much. Uh, she said she'll give it an honest go, and we just had a friend who got, got an e-foil, so hopefully get her out on the e-foil, and she says she's going to give it give winging oh. an honest try this summer. So, uh, oh, nice man. But obviously, snow, right? Yeah, both. Uh, yeah, okay, that's why yeah, you because yeah. you were in Wyoming, you said. Yes, yeah, I was in Jackson Hole, Wyoming, for a long time. Oh, that must have been unreal. Pretty amazing, but now after living here and being able, I mean, I sail twelve months out of the year. You know, probably two hundred yeah. plus days a year. Like I going back to six months of eternal winter and no open bodies of water sounds kind of tough. I don't know. I miss it. I miss yeah, it a lot for those like you know, January and February, but then when it's 50 degrees mm-hmm. and sunny here and I can be out on the water or I can go ski powder in the morning and then be on the river in the afternoon in the gorge, it's, it's pretty good living here. Oh yeah. I don't doubt. Like it's one spot that I would like to go spend more time in. My brother and I went down once, Come but, visit. um, how about, can we talk about some of the different launch spots? Are there some, like, obviously you travel based on conditions, but are there some of your favorite spots that we can Yeah, I mean, the, the hatchery is king for me. Um, okay. Right over the bridge in White Salmon um, on the Washington side. And the way the waves stack up there, especially for foiling, is just incredible. It's just super tight period, big freight train swells. Like this time of the year, the current is ripping. I don't know what it's at now. Mm-hmm. It was it was averaging like three hundred and seventy thousand kfs um, coming out of the dam okay. and the dells earlier this week, and so we have a very we have a special wind phenomenon here in the gorge, right where we're sitting right on the Cascade Divide, and so you have cool, wet coastal Oregon and Portland that's on borderline, you know, like temperate rainforest in the coastal range, and then Eastern Oregon is high dry desert. So Eastern Oregon heats up, sucks the cool thermal air in off the coast and funnels it through the gorge. So you always have a wind against the tide, essentially. And in the springtime and early summer, when the snowmelt is ripping and the current is ripping in the river, that wind and swell stacks up and just drives huge waves. And you have like full top to bottom breaking six to eight foot high swell rolling through the hatchery. Um, that is just Whoa. unreal fun. Like you can't believe it until you oh, see it. Yeah. And everyone's like, Oh, you're sailing on a river. Like what's it's It's full on, you know, it's blowing 35 and you're ripping, you're hanging on for dear life, ripping down eight foot faces. Oh yeah. My, yeah, we were, well, how many years has that been? Probably been five or six years or something that we went down. And I think it was the first time I, I was seeing women on four meter kites and three meter kites and stuff. Yeah, and she was coming in to swap for a three, and I was like, "Whoa, that's because yeah. compl- from Ottawa or from other spots like that, you're lucky if you get on like, I don't know, a nine or a yeah. twelve or something." Yeah, so, I mean, I always love there's yeah. a there's a bumper sticker out here from the um, from the windsurfing days that says, "If it's not four zero, don't go." Four <laughs> zero. <4-0. laughs> um, that's unreal. Yeah, but yeah. The hatchery, the hatchery is the king for like for full on ripping sailing. Um, we still, we sail at the event site right in downtown hood river a lot as well. It's super easy. It's right in town. Um, and you're protected by the sandbar that's um, built out from the hood river. 
And so it's a good, just like flat water, easy place to sail. You can still get out into the main channel and find some waves out there. It's a great place to learn to foil. Um, you've got okay. the whole waterfront there. And as you go upwind out, it's called the hook. And there's kind of this sand spit that sticks out upwind. And then you've got this nice protected bay running along the Hood River waterfront with the big sandbar sticking out at the bottom as a big catcher's mitt. And there's a bike path and like a walking path all along it um, and a road as well. So it's really easy to do quick little shuttle laps. You know, as you're learning and blowing downwind, you're in flat water. You're not going to get sucked down river. Um, great place to learn okay. and still fun. Like, you know, especially on light wind days, get out on the downwind board, go rip around. You got a nice big grassy lawn to come in and de rig and drink beers in afterwards. Um, yeah, that was the one thing I noticed was the community there. When we showed up, there was just so many windsurfers and so many people at event site. And it was just awesome to see that the vibe was still alive. And it's awesome. I love it. And everybody was so nice. Yeah. Especially like I, again, I grew up in Rhode Island and learned to foil in Rhode Island. Whereas like I knew everyone who windsurfed and everyone who foiled. And if I didn't know you, it was like, who's that guy out there? Hold on a second. Someone else is foiling around here. We got to go talk to them and like see where they live and why aren't they hanging out with us? And yeah, you come here and it's just, yeah. I mean, it's overwhelming. You know, it's like, you know, on any given day, there are a couple hundred people out, you know, windsurfing, winging, kiting. Um, it's amazing. Nice. And so we talked about, yeah. So hatchery and then event site. Now yeah. there's Doug's and there's a bunch of other spots. Yeah, gonna say, there's right? so many spots. Um, yeah, on the west, okay. on the on the Washington side, you've got Doug's, and you go further east out to the Wall. Um, kind of comparable spots on the on the Oregon side, um, with I want to say Manzanita, but that's on the coast. There's another park on the Oregon side across from Doug's that I'm blanking on the name of right now. Mm. Yeah, um, me too. I've sailed there before, and yeah, that's a fun place to sail. Um, good, easy public park access. Um, to launch on. And again, the, the gorge is such a unique climate where we're right on that, like Hood River is on the Cascade Divide. It's right on that transition zone. And there's mm -hmm. so many little micro pressure climates and everything here, all the wind here is pressure driven. So sometimes you'll have, it'll be dead calm in Hood River blowing, you know, five to 10, but then you go down to Doug's and it's blowing 15 to 20. And then you go further east and, you know, you drive 45 minutes east past the Dalles out to Rufus and it's blowing 35. Mm. Um, and it's, you know, mm. you'll be just driving along the river and it'll be like glassy calm. And then five miles later, it's absolutely nuking. Um, it's just these little tight climates. So um, I think actually huh. like Sailflow and iWindsurf was started out here trying to map these, you know, give accurate predictions to these little micro wind climates. And mm -hmm. so like living out here, I mean, we're spoiled because you live here and like, yes, I love sailing the hatchery. It's 10 minutes from my house. And if it's going, that's where I'll be. But an hour in either direction gives me probably 20 different places to launch. And you just, yeah. you know, open up. I wind surf, I kite surf, whatever app you use windy and see you know all right it's blowing you know 10 to 15 here 15 to 20 there oh you know rufus and arlington are going off it's a day to go out east all right i'm going to drive 45 minutes and i'm going to go sail in you know 30 knots and it's ripping out there 
Um, you know, it's like, I could sail 15 knots here at home, but I'm going to go chase, chase breeze. Oh yeah. No, that it, it's such a, yeah, it's such a gift and stuff to be able to do that. Um, all right. So I guess Tom's not coming. I guess Tom's not coming back at all. Maybe his phone died. Oh, well. Um, okay. So back on KT train, where do you see that brand expanding, exploding to? I know a lot more stores here in Ontario are covering KT. Speaking for the brand, we're really trying to expand in North America a lot. Um, I mean, we're in all the major shops, you know, big winds, real Matt kiteboarding, North beach, windsurfing down in stateside, as long as a lot of other smaller local retailers, um, up in Canada. Um, you've got Jesse on Vancouver Island with dirty mermaid, um, silent sports over in, um, Ontario and a lot of the other big players up there as well. And, really just exciting to see the brand kind of build, build their name for themselves in this sporting and in this industry. Like, um, and and a lot of people, again, you know, the windsurfing world knows Goya. Every, if you're a windsurfer, you know, Goya windsurfing, um, you know, Francisco and Lalo made sure that, um, you know, Francisco is a two-time world champion. And, uh, so that's a household name. If you're a windsurfer and they make some of the best windsurfing gear in the world, um, with, um, you know, Marcella Brown being the world champion right now, wave sailing. And so that brand is out there and it's really just connecting that heritage to the KT foiling. Um, and, and also I think it's, and either you or Tom alluded to it before as well, that like a lot of the, the KT surfing brand name is associated with Kai Lenny, with Ian Walsh and with those pros. And it's, we're not, we don't want to be this inaccessible, you know, high end brand that you have to be a pro to ride. You have to be a pro to feel the difference on like these boards really do work for everyone. And we're not just a bunch of pro riders designing gear for pro riders. Um, you know, it does work for everyone that, that trickle down in the sport is there and in the design, you know, it's, those those top riders are the best because they're so good at putting the time in in their sport and at really focusing their needs and what they're looking to get out of it and i think that's where keith works really well with his riders is taking what they're looking at and being able to translate that into a design you know the same with jason on the wing side it's like all right this is what you're feeling this is what you're looking for you know, either this is what you're feeling now, or this is the feeling that you're looking for. How do we make that possible? How do we take that so that you're actually getting a product that is rider driven? Um, mm-hmm. And accessible for a lot of people as well. Like I'm running the 72, my buddy's riding a drifter 105, but same kind of, it's just as easy accessible for him, same yeah. as me. So it's nice to be able to have that wide range and not make this gear unaccessible but quick and easy on touchdowns like i found they changed their uh their track like the their pads this year the last pads yep. were a little bit more aggressive these ones switched a little bit yeah yeah i love the new black pad it's so soft and grippy um and i think and you just touched on it with like the you know the 105 liter board and the wing drifters go all the way up to 160 the ginsu goes up to a 120 okay. but we you know you look at so many of these the other brands out there and, um, and the, 
one of the hardest parts about getting into the sport is what gear do I get? That's the question you hear all the time, right? Friends are always asking, you see it on all of the forums and all the Facebook pages, you know, this is my size. I'm, and I'm trying to get into the sport. I want to get my first gear. What do I get? And you know, you need a bigger board to learn. It's going to make your learning process a lot easier, but you don't want something that you're going to immediately grow out of. Right. Mm -hmm. And like, you know, I learned on the uh, seven foot Nash board that was a picnic table and not nothing against Nash. I love their gear, but Yep. When it's nice to have a board, and I think the KT Wingdrifters do this really well in their compact package that has the volume you need to learn on in a design that is still fun to ride as you progress. You know, like your buddy mm-hmm. riding the 105 yes. liter yeah. isn't going to grow out of that board. You know, you can get yeah. a 120 liter board that gives you the volume to learn on, a 130 liter board that gives you the volume to learn on and get up and get going that isn't going to be a pig in the water. It's not crazy heavy. It's not seven feet long. You know, it's still going to be maneuverable and fun to ride. And you're going to be able to learn to jibe on it. You're going to be able to learn to pump and ride swell on it. And then when you're ready Mm -hmm. and you want to, you can progress down to a smaller board. But, um, Mm -hmm. you know, that was like, we wanted to design those bigger sizes to still be fun to ride so that they're accessible to everyone so that you don't have to, you know, buy a board and two months later buy another board. You want to have something that you can Mm -hmm. keep riding and get a year or two at least of time out of, um, you know, to still have fun and ride on. Yeah. Like I, I think it was, was it last year? No, it was the year before, I think when they had the blue drifters out, the pro drifters from, from Quattro. So a buddy had a 115, a 90, and an 80, and I was able to try all three in the same session. And you know what? I was blown away at how close they were. Just a little bit more float, a little right. bit more float. But it's like I drove the or like I rode the 115. I said, okay, cool. I'll top of the other one right away. And I was like, huh. And then I dropped on the 80. I was like, huh. Like the 80 was obviously a little shorter, more compact, but overall right. the feel was similar. Yeah. which I was very happy about and blown away at the same time. Yeah, absolutely. Right. The The goal was, was right. You wanted, we want the 115 to ride as well as the 80. Um, you know, and we are now, there is going to be a new beginner centric board coming out. Um, hopefully this summer, I think if all is going well, okay. um, that's going to be the drifter flight. That's like a, a school specific beginner board um, that we designed with a center fin box in the middle of it, um, which similar like Slingshot's been doing this with their inflatable boards. So they give you that beginner board that has a foil track in the back and a center fin box in the middle so that you can learn to low ride and control the wing and fly and still track upwind and not just get blown off downwind, but then that you can transition right up onto foiling and go through the whole beginner process on one board um you know we wanted to make that you know one board a hard board that um ideally really focused towards schools um or you know yacht clubs that are looking to get into it you know something that schools can have they can have on the rack they can teach hundreds of people to learn on and it's a one board process that can take you from never having stepped on a, a board before never having foiled before to all right this is a big stable platform and i can get up and go um 
so that you can go and have that really successful learning experience in a school environment uh, before you transition to your own gear. Oh, that's cool to know. Cause yeah, when I was teaching last year, um, the board was a bit narrower. I think it was a fanatic B, but it was only a one thirty, And, um, I found it was small for a lot of people weighing like over 160 pounds. Yeah. It was just too small. It was too quirky and too much of a pain in the butt. But one of the, my clients there had, I think it was the Nash hover or something. Yeah. It was about the 140 or 150. Yeah. And it was a great board to learn on. And uh, we threw on a big, big, big foil for them. And it made, it was night and day different. So yeah. if you can come up with something that yeah, helps it's them gonna not be right, drift. Because, yeah, right along those yeah. same lines. I think it's going to be 7 to 155 liters. And okay. kind of goes the flip side of what we were just talking about, but gives you that big, stable platform. Um, and if you're yeah. learning to wing, I would highly suggest taking a lesson somewhere and not just going out and trying to flounder around on your own. And so this was our goal to like give that really positive school environment, you know, school teaching experience so that you have a stable platform to learn on and then you can get down onto a 115 board, a, you know, 105, something that's a little closer to what you want to be riding. That'll still be easy for you to continue to grow on. Mm-hmm. No, that makes sense. Did you ever think like looking at the sport, did you ever think a it would ever we'd ever be kind of flying in this weird little blow up toy. Did you ever think this would come or? Uh, um, I mean, your thoughts on I that? guess in hindsight, I'm not surprised if you look at, it's really just a cross between windsurfing and kiting. Um, so yeah. it makes sense. I mean, the foil tech is really what brought it all together. And as a sailor, yep. I think it's really incredible. And like, I'm a big sailing nerd and, you know, raced professionally for a little while. And like, yeah, I love following the America's cup and all the pro sailing. Um, and now with sail GP and like when the America's cup transitioned to foiling, whenever that first was 2013, everyone was like, Oh, this is terrible for the sport. There's going to be no trickle down. It's the death of, you know, pro sailing and blah, blah, blah. And like, this is so stupid. And like, it's only for the elite. Like it's never going to happen. It's never going to go anywhere. And yep. now you look at, you know, that, that technology made this possible. We would not be here yes. if, if it wasn't for, you know, the America's cup start, you know, bringing that carbon tech and that high aspect foil tech, you know, to the masses, you look at Armstrong, you look at Nash, you look at, um, you know, now North foiling, like everyone has America's cup designers on their team. You know, that's where, mm-hmm. you know, that's, that trickle down effect has hit our market and has made foiling possible for us. Um, oh yeah. And it's amazing. And the gear has changed. So the gear has changed so much. I think it's, I can't wait yeah. to see where it goes in the next three years. I mean, it's amazing, but I'm so happy that I got in on it at the beginning. I mean, I remember that first, I think it was the first, maybe it was the second summer. I don't even know, but you know, sitting, having a beer afterwards with my friend Dylan and both of us just kind of talking about it and going, I think this is something I want to be really good at. Like, I don't think this is something I want to just like half ass. Like, I think I want to, I want to go all in on this. Like, this is going to be, this is going to be really cool and I want to do it. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. How, how are your, like, how, how does it make you feel for people who've never winged before? How would you describe the feeling to them? it's, it's the most, uh, it's the best flow state experience I've ever had. Um, 
Okay. I'm a big, I, I'm a big flow state person. It's something I chase in all of my sports. Um, and the reason I, you know, love skiing so much and lived in Jackson hole for seven years, chasing skiing powder. Um, it's that perfect effortless, bottomless, smooth, silent flow state experience. Um, when you, it's just mm-hmm. the, the side, the smooth and silent aspect of it is amazing. I love it. I can't get enough of it. If I could okay. foil every single day of my life, I would. <laughs> oh yeah. I think we would too. Um, how do you compare it. it to like, well, yeah, that's the, <laughs> that's the thing. How do you compare it to like, I guess so it is very similar for you to, I, sorry, I, I kind of explain it as powder snowboarding a little bit. Yeah, totally. It's a, it's a similar feel to, to skiing or snowboarding powder. Yeah. Okay. That's unreal. I mean, I'm just so excited for where the sport's going, all the different disciplines that are growing out of foiling, um, you know, and it's just amazing. If you had told me two years ago that I'd be riding, you know, 900, 700 square centimeter laughed in your face and said, that's not possible. That. <laughs> like, you know, the fact that I now ride, you know, a 900 yep. centimeter foil, a 50 liter board and a four meter wing is my like go-to everyday setup just blows me away. Um, I cannot wait to see where this sport goes. I think we're going to see it, see the different disciplines continue to evolve. I mean, the downwind paddling side of it within winging, you know, the race scene is really starting to take off, um, all around the country. You know, there's little hot spots like San Francisco. We actually don't really have a race scene up here in the gorge. There's racing on the East coast going on in Rhode Island. They're hosting the new England okay. wing, wing racing championships in June in Bristol you know, the, and with the whole um, pro wing circuit already taking off. And, you know, I think it's going to be really cool to see what happens in like the racing world in the free ride world in the wave riding world and kind of how those disciplines feed off each other, but also expand in their own right. Um, you know, it's going to be cool to see, to see where the gear mm-hmm. progresses in each of those disciplines, you know, for super high speed stuff, radical turning high, you know, big air jumping. I mean, you got Chris McDonald out here landing 10 eighties already. And, you know, someone's going to land a double flip on a wing this summer. I bet. Um, yeah. it's only a matter of time. I don't see why not. Um, it's not going to be me, but someone will do it. Our buddy, Max Robinson, who's from Toronto. So shout, we can pretty much give Max yep. a shout out every, every episode, but, um, I think he's working on those double backies. Nice. Yeah, I hope he comes out here. I can't wait to see it then. Yeah, absolutely. So for people um, who are looking to follow you, get in touch with you, what's the best way for them to reach out to you? Uh, Best way is on Instagram, probably. um, Andrew.sare. I'm on there all the time. Easy way to get in touch with me. I'm always trying to post foil content whenever I can get the GoPro out or get someone to stand on shore and shoot some video of me. Um, I'm also on Facebook, Beautiful. Andrew Sayre, and on the uh, Northwest Wing Foiling Facebook group pretty actively. So give me a shout. Awesome. Awesome. Well, hey, man, I just wanted to say, like, thanks so much for, for joining us and talking about everything. No it's, problem. It's My pleasure. It's been a really fun conversation. Always happy to talk foiling. Oh, yeah. <laughs> we'll have to have you back on later when we get some some new toys and stuff. And, uh, wow, that silver KT is beautiful, eh? Whew. Yeah, my baby. (laughs) Yeah, I don't doubt. (laughs) 
Thanks for joining Tom and I on this episode. We hope you enjoyed it, and we'll see you next time.